Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Welcome to the podcast, Kendra. I am so excited to talk to you today about all things ocean and our experience in the marine biology world. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know your full name and your pronouns? Yes. So my name is Kendra Nelson and I go, my pronouns are she, her. Um, So I am a marine biologist. I just graduated from BYU Hawaii on the island of Oahu with a biology degree with a marine emphasis and then an English minor and an entrepreneurship minor. Um, I just moved. Yeah, it was really fun. I just moved to Canada. So I'm like in not really committed to a bunch of stuff right now. I have a lot of projects going on um, and I work for P&W Protectors, but as an NGO, um, we kind of wait for funding to do our projects. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now, especially with COVID. So in the meantime, I have a lot of freelance stuff that I've been doing, um, as well as working on my paperwork for becoming a resident of Canada. Yes, well, welcome to Canada. I hope you are ready. It's going to be a little bit different than where you were previously in Oahu. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know where you're in uh, on the West Coast. We're literally pretty much as far apart as we can get in Canada on opposite coasts. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but last night we got about two feet of snow. So it's been real fun. Yeah, I think we, we're free of snow, but I think Seattle's supposed to get some this week. And I don't know if that'll carry over too because uh, we're right in Vancouver oh exciting oh I love Vancouver you're gonna love it there I'm excited to get out of quarantine and <laughs> yeah that's all that's the hard part is just waiting those 14 days yeah so what made you want to pursue marine biology did you was it something that like you knew from a young age that you wanted to do like were you determined right away or did you find it later on in life um so I actually I wouldn't say I knew about marine biology early on, but I knew I wanted to, um, I wanted to work with orcas because I was in love with SeaWorld when I was little. Um, I was born in Texas and we would go to SeaWorld San Antonio pretty often. Like we had family passes and my, it's funny, we looked through um, scrapbooks and actually at like nine months, there's a scrapbook entry of it's pictures of me and my dad in Shamu Stadium in San Antonio and all the little like I guess word graphics that you know our moms who scrapbooks put in was like Kendra did not want to leave the Orca Stadium she loved it and at like nine months and that may have been like my mom being like oh a little kid just so enamored but I like to tell people that from nine months I fell in love with Orca um because that's more fun you've always kind of been like I this is what I love kind of thing yeah and then we would keep growing up and like um, we moved out of San Antonio or out of Texas when I was like six but up until then there's lots of scrapbook entries of us at SeaWorld and there was always like and like in every every page it's like notes like Kendra wanted to do the backstage tour Kendra went and sat <laughs> through every single orca show and my parents would get annoyed because they're like it's the same orca show every single time and even six-year-old me <laughs> was like no we have to see all of them um so I wanted to be a Shamu trainer since I was like little, little, little. And then when we moved to Arizona, we would go to San Diego. And so San Diego is the, the facility that I feel closest to now because I went there for so long, like through my more aware years where I was like really taking stuff in as like a teenager um, and adult. I went up until I was like 19 was the last time I went to SeaWorld. Um, so yeah, I was like, constantly like trying to figure out how I could work at SeaWorld and be a trainer um, and I was just like oh marine biology degree works and that was kind of my thought for the longest time about marine okay science. cool so it just kind of like made sense for you to pursue it yeah yeah that was kind of it was just like oh I want to work there so marine science boom I feel like SeaWorld is kind of like the general introduction to most of us for like hey these animals and like marine stuff is pretty cool maybe I can find a way to do this for the rest of my life and like dolphin trainer whale trainer all that stuff is like I think that's what all of us wanted to be at a young age at least for a little bit oh yeah I mean it's like I hear that all the time from people is that they wanted like SeaWorld kind of ignited that um love which is 
I respect that. But of course, I think a lot of us have changed our views on the <laughs> oh, parks. Big time. <laughs> big time. I think we start out, we're like, heck yeah, SeaWorld. And then we're like, oh, maybe never mind. Yeah. You learn a little bit more and you're like, uh-huh, okay. Not for me, but thank you yeah. for showing me these things so I can decide to learn about them a different way. Yeah, it's like a the respect of you inspired me and there are good things that do happen and like I always try to talk to or like bring awareness to the nuance of the parks that it's not like black and white like I yeah, hate them I mean it can be I know people can be like oh black and white it's so easy but I think there are more nuances but um um like my when my, my friend was talking recently about like all these issues like they did inspire probably like a whole generation of marine scientists Especially those yeah. who are landlocked, like who would just go on a trip and that's how they would see the ocean. It's like, oh, you go to the beach, but a lot of people aren't exploring the beach. Like my yeah. family loves the beach, but we just sit there. I wasn't like <laughs> exploring tide pools and all that kind of stuff. SeaWorld was definitely like, it, and it gets you the cool stuff right up front. Like their tide pools clearly have stuff in them. If you go to a tide pool, there's a lot of times that there's nothing there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're boring. kind of looking around and you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, a rock. Oh, Never mind. Okay. Like just... <laughs> It's either like 50 50, either find something really cool or you're looking at rocks. Especially as kids, like we'd find sea cucumbers and stuff, but I'd be like, this is boring. But like you go to SeaWorld and there's like the bright colored starfish and all these cool anemones and you're like touching them and it's like, oh, this is so cool. Now I think sea cucumbers are amazing and I would be thrilled to find one. But when I'm little, it's like you kind of need those attention grabbing critters and moments. And that's kind of, I feel like, where SeaWorld gets a lot of people hooked. Oh yeah, they're definitely a great, like, not great, but they're definitely a good introduction and captivating introduction to it because it just makes you want to be like, what, it, what is this? What's going on here? What's happening? And why, like, cool, where are these things? Oh, the ocean? Cool, I want to study the ocean forever now. Yeah, like, I, like, killer whales get you hooked in, but then you, like, go to an aquarium and you see the little animals and those are cool too. It's all that, like, yeah, I agree. And you mentioned, like, it being such a great opportunity for landlocked. Now, that kind of brings me back. You said you moved from Texas to Arizona. Now, Texas does have a coastline. I always kind of forget that part, but Arizona is yeah. pretty landlocked. So it's interesting that you decided to pursue marine biology from there. What brought you to Hawaii? I mean, great choice. Fantastic choice. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I grew up LDS, and so there's these BYU schools everywhere. Um, and there's a school in Hawaii, and I applied for a lot of other marine science schools, but in the end, they were really expensive, and I wasn't wanting to go into debt my first four years mm. um, of school. That was just a choice, and so um, I could have, and like we talked about with my family, but we had the means to avoid going into debt for my first four years of school, which I actually really wanted, um, Yeah. and so I did pick a cheaper school, <laughs> um, and BYU Hawaii was like the cheapest one I got into, Besides something in Arizona, but I did not want to go to a school in Arizona. Um, those were like my safety net if I didn't get in anywhere and needed to save up for a few years and then transfer. So absolutely, I tell people, and I told my professors, I'm like, price honestly is kind of the was one of the helping factors of going to BYU Hawaii because I got into places like Eckerd and University of the Pacific and these other schools that are much more have more rigorous marine science programs but yeah. just even with the scholarships that I had I like did not I was I would have gone into great debt <laughs> um so yeah I went to Hawaii um our school is on the north shore so it's in Laie it's a really small town you're like an hour from everything like there's one little grocery shop um in our little area but if you want to like go to Target or go to like a Whole Foods or anywhere that's not food land, which is like, I would say the local Walmart, you get to drive like 45 minutes. Wow. Which a lot of, yeah, we're far from, pretty far from stuff just because it's so isolated up there. See, that makes me laugh because that is like the town, I'm at my parents' house right now and that's literally not similar because obviously I did not grow up in Hawaii, but like the small town I lived in, everything was 45 minutes away. Like grocery stores, even if you like any kind of grocery store, we had like small convenience stores, but like everything was 45 minutes away, like all this stuff. Yeah. But we don't like the fact that you were on Hawaii. Like what? 
I didn't know BYU had a Hawaii um, campus. That is so yeah, cool. they, have, they have a Provo and Idaho campus, which I told people I would die before I ever went there. Um, <laughs> I hate Utah and Idaho with like a, a deep passion. Um, <laughs> I did just go to Utah and it was very pretty, but um, could never live there. <laughs> Provo's their, their main campus, right? Yeah, Provo's the yeah. one everyone like knows about. Um, I have a lot of friends who went to Provo. And it's, when I got into Hawaii, it was funny. Um, I was My school was actually going on a trip to Washington, D.C., for like our senior trip and the night before we flew out um the BYU all the three schools are supposed to be sending their like acceptances and so we're all on the portal and I'd applied for Provo in Hawaii I had only applied for Provo because of the cost but I was like oh I have to I, mean, I guess go but I'd rather die so <laughs> I <laughs> we're sitting there and then we I got um I don't know is it denied to Provo I guess I don't know it's like I don't remember the lingo and um but everyone else except for like two kids, a lot of my school was LDS too. So like every other kid except for two of us got into Provo. So the next, and then we didn't hear from Hawaii. So I was like, well, if I didn't get into Provo, there's no way I got into Hawaii. Provo is like a 50% acceptance rate and Hawaii's 30, so there's no way. Um, so we got in the morning, got to the airport, all the kids were wearing their BYU shirts, so excited. And then there's us, we're like, yeah, yeah going to school in Arizona. Um, and then get on the plane and like I was kind of bummed, but we didn't we didn't actually hear it from Hawaii and we looked it up and some people said that they tend to get um, their acceptances later than Provo because um, okay. on Hawaii time. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll wait a few days. I'll probably find out on this trip and be super depressed. That's fine because I'm in Washington D.C. and I'm just gonna have fun with my friends. Um, we land, we get to our hotel and my parents texted me and my dad was like, are you sitting down? And I thought someone died. So I was like, oh my God, are you kidding uh, me? That, that's, a, that's a threatening way to say that. Are you sitting I, yeah. down? And I was like, no. And then I, he <laughs> called and my mom was like cry screaming in the background. So I was like, who died? Like, mom, oh like I, it sounded like she was grieving. And they're like, you got in. Cause they had, I didn't have a computer with me. So they had yeah. their computer open like all day refreshing it constantly and they oh. refreshed it and they got the acceptance and they were freaking out um and then I was like freaking out and jumping in the hallway in the hotel and I was like oh my gosh I'm going to Hawaii um, oh that's and so then all the Provo, I feel like all the Provo kids were like because no one else got, a lot of them had applied for Hawaii but I was the only one that got into Hawaii so I was a little a little braggy about it <laughs> In my head, you worked hard for that. Thank you. That is so cool, and I love, I love that you factor like you talked earlier about price being a factor because I feel like there's a lot of pressure in like the marine science community to be like, oh, I graduated from this school with honors, and like have those like really showy, flashy, like graduating from these rigorous programs. But yeah. you're getting this, like, not the exact same education, but you're learning all the same topics from different universities. Like, it doesn't matter where you go as long as you're working hard and learning. Yeah, even until students are like, these schools, like, they're so far away. Because, like, almost every marine science program is on a coast somehow. There yeah. are ones that are, like, Alabama and Galveston that are, like, you think less. Like, you're not always like, oh, yeah, the coast in Alabama. Like, what? Everyone thinks of Florida, California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii for schools. Texas does get in there because their the their A and M program is actually really good. Um, but for the most part, the tropic, beautiful areas or Oregon, Washington, from like my experience, people always say those schools. But there's tons of other schools. Like East Coast has great schools too. I think um Redigers is one. Um there's a lot of great schools and other stuff in Maine. And I'm always, I tell students, I'm like, you know, you can't, you don't have to go to a marine science school. Technically, like a biology degree works great. What like sets you apart is the experiences you get. Oh yeah, and absolutely. That, for me, like our school, it's just a biology program with a marine emphasis. Two of our professors are marine, marine biologists with PhDs studying marine science. And so it was a little bit more marine focused than I think previous years where they don't have like teachers that are marine biologists yeah. but um, mostly our experience like I would our school's so small like my class sizes were average like 16 to 20 people honestly 
Um, my biggest one, I think, had 100, and it was like a Gen Chem. But once you oh, get wow. higher and more specialized, like there's like 16 people, sometimes smaller for some classes. So I was really close with my professors and was able to like really, re you still have to put in the effort, but I was able to reach out to them and get involved in like their research, working in the labs. And that's why I'm like, that made the difference for, yeah, I didn't take all like these great marine science classes. I know other people did. Like I never took the psychology class. Um, I took kind of more general marine science classes. I didn't have like a marine mammalogy or ichthyology courses that I know a lot of my other friends have at their in their marine science programs. But I have a lot of lab experience, which I worked for, but that I definitely makes the difference of hands-on experience. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent. I cannot reiterate that enough that like your experience and networking is more important yeah. than your grades and like, oh, I, I did this class. So I know this, like, cool. That's great. Wait, so it's like people who can graduate from scripts that have not done anything, like didn't exactly. work or if they did work, like maybe like not the working at a cafe, like you got to make money, but it's like working that isn't showing the skill some people don't do internships which is a big one um that you can graduate with straight A's but have no experience and then you're less hireable than someone who may have gotten like eh, B's some C's in there a couple A's but not the best student but that worked in labs that had like three internships two or three internships and did all these things um, hands-on like physical experience absolutely yeah. and that, that was... makes the difference and I'm not a straight A student so I was like that made a huge difference for me <laughs> absolutely me either and that was like probably the most life-changing advice I could ever get like I was panicking about how I didn't have the best grades and like all my friends I took an extra year to graduate and all my friends were graduating going into these master's programs and I was like oh my god like I'm never going to graduate like obviously I was like I was fine I was gonna graduate but in my head I'm like I'm never gonna graduate I'm not gonna find a master's like I, I why am I pursuing this and then one of my profs was like, you're going to be fine. It's okay. You don't have to have a 4.3 or like the straight A's. Like yeah. you're hard and you're passionate about this. And that's what matters when you're finding someone or finding people to work with. Yeah. And I had one of my professors, like she's amazing, but she um, spoke in an event we had for our club. And I had like given up on wanting to pursue a master's because I didn't have good grades I was like never like and I wasn't going to retake classes because I was like done <laughs> and I had a lot of like mental health struggles through college too that I was just like I cannot retake this class and so she came up and spoke one day and she was like <laughs> and she clearly has a PhD and is now teaching but she's like I failed like most of my bachelors like I didn't do any effort I didn't do anything I worked at a coffee shop I like put minimum effort and she realized kind of like her last year that she wanted to keep pursuing um her studies and she was like kind of freaking out but she had worked at a lab um with a professor like volunteering more so um if I remember the story correct not it may be a little inaccurate but this is what I remember um but she had a professor she worked for and he or she I don't remember kind of vouched for her in her um application process for her master's as like her reference being like yeah like grades are the best but She's dedicated, learned fast, loves the lab work, and really loves learning. Um, and I heard that, and I was like, is there hope for me? <laughs> As we're talking, I'm realizing that you and I are, like, the same person in our journeys here, and I love it. Yeah, I and, that, and I really valued her input, and, like, she was my teacher, and it was funny, because I actually did really bad in her classes. Um, <laughs> Mostly because I took I took three of them in one semester and I had a really rough like like issue with self harm like trigger warning suicidal yeah. yeah whatever and all that kind of stuff and so I just like I really dropped the ball um, and but then the I uh, like in invertebrate zoology is one of them I did not do good in that class grade wise but I loved it and then afterwards she actually had me come on and be the TA for the class. Because um, after I took it, I was like, oh, like, I really dropped the ball. But then I started doing my own stuff outside of class. And that's like, I fell in love with a lot of invertebrate species and learning about yeah. them. And I, so I learned it after I took the class. Like, I sat through and I had the textbook and then I had all my notes, but I didn't absorb it while I was in the class. But afterwards, I, like, through diving, I was like, I saw a nudibranch. And she was like, that's so cool. What kind? 
and then I'd look more into it. And so I got really involved in like loving invertebrates. And so when it came around that she was teaching the class again um, last last winter, um, I was asked to be the TA. And I was like, I didn't even have good grades in this class, but I was like very willing to relearn. I would sit in most of the classes and I tried to relearn a lot of it um, to make up for it. But I, um, she's also really understanding of like the mental health aspect that I just really struggled the, the semester I took those classes from her, but I loved it. And I was like very willing to put in work outside of class and then to sit in and work with the students in class again. And I was learning with them. And I always tell them that I was like, I may be tutoring you, but I promise you that I'm tutoring myself in this process. <laughs> I love that. That is amazing. And it is sometimes you find like, I find speaking for myself, at least like sometimes I'll be in the class and I'm like, I absolutely do not want to learn this right now because I don't want to be graded on it, even if I find it interesting. Like I just have no motivation to study this and know this. But if I'm learning it in a setting outside a classroom or outside where there's going to be exams on it, I'm like, man, this is so cool. And when you're learning it because you want to versus you have to, there's a huge yeah. difference. Grading and like just the aspect of grades was really daunting for me. I had this unhealthy um not obsession but like I focused a lot of my self-worth on my grades and so that made me terrified of them and so I would like shun studying and all that kind of stuff um so when I had really hard classes I just kind of like balled up and wouldn't do anything because I was so scared of failing that I didn't even yeah. want to try it's like that and that's perfectionism kinda that need for perfectionism it's like if it's not going to be perfect then I don't want to do it if I'm not going to be excellent I'm not even I'm not going to bother kind of thing yeah. I mean, there was, there was one semester I couldn't even take, I didn't take a chem test. My first chem test of the semester because I had a panic attack and I couldn't get to the, um, the testing center. So I was so scared to take the test. because I was like, I'm going to fail this test. So I had to, I didn't take it. And I had to like tell my professor, I like went, I said, I think I sent him an email. So I was like, Hey, I'm really sorry for not taking it. I know you don't care because you're a professor and there's like a hundred students, but I didn't take the test. And I just felt bad because I like, don't want you to think, I'm this like lazy student yeah. I was like literally like I could not move from my room and I was so like it's not your fault this is on me <laughs> but I just felt so bad and I know teachers are like okay that's okay it's the best when you get a teacher that stand like the one you were mentioning earlier that's like hey totally okay like let's move past it we'll go from there those are the best teachers yeah and he he had really good policies too like if he, his tests so like they all built off each other so if you got like a 50 on the first test but a 70 on the second it actually replaced your first test score oh, um, I like that so I was kind of, so he was like you're fine just take the next one <laughs> I could just get a grade on the next one and I would get a grade for the first one so he's like it's okay like things happen like students forget because they're at work or some students just forget to take tests so he's like it's okay like I have this policy because one I know people are busy but also everything builds off each other in chem so he thinks that like your next test if you did really well on it that means you learned the past stuff yeah, so it which should makes help that sense. grade yeah so I was like okay I feel better but I don't I felt so bad I was like I don't want you to think I'm disrespecting you I respect oh. your class like I'm so sorry oh <laughs> that's too sweet I love that yeah I yeah that's why I always tell people, I'm like, I, yeah, definitely not a perfect student, struggled with a lot of stuff in college, like, it's okay. Cause, Which is yeah. so important to spread that word of like, hey, I wasn't a perfect student, I wasn't on Dean's List, I'm not straight A's, but I love what I do and I'm passionate about it, and that's what matters. Yeah, I only got on the Dean's List once, because I took an entire semester of entrepreneurship classes, which for me were so easy. <laughs> So I'm always like, yeah, I got on the dean's list, but it was nothing to do with my biology classes. It was like social media marketing and business management and other stuff that I was just like, oh, easy peasy. Yeah, you know, no one needs to but know that, was, that I wasn't involved in marine science. They don't need to know that. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Just, <laughs> I mean, one semester, I really got it together. Then the semester immediately after that, bombed. Absolutely not. <laughs> happens happens to the best of us we are water women 
and we're spending a lot of time in the water. So it's important to try and find something that you can wear that makes you feel good about its production and how it makes you feel. Finding one of these can be a little difficult. What's this swimsuit made out of? How is it sourced? Why doesn't it fit me right? And most importantly, why the heck can't I order different sizes for the top and the bottoms? This is why Water Women is so excited to be teaming up with Sisterly Swim to share with you their sustainable swimsuits that you can fit comfortably into. This is a family-owned business from sisters who are passionate about the environment and have developed these amazing swimsuits that come in six, yes, six different sizes. And if you don't feel comfortable in those six different sizes, they'll even do custom sizes for you. Yeah, custom sizes. How awesome is that? Each suit is made from fabrics that are 100% derived from fishing nets and carpet fluff that have reached the end of their usable life. Not only that, the packaging, postcards, and tags that you get are all made of 100% compostable materials. If I haven't convinced you yet, how about this exclusive deal only for Water Women listeners? You can get 15% off your entire order when you use the code WATERSISTER15. That's WATERSISTER, one word, one five, for 15% off your entire order at sisterlyswim.com. These are swimsuits that you can feel good about wearing and feel good in. So while you lived on Oahu, you actually had probably one of the coolest internships you could have. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I was an intern with One Ocean Diving and Conservation. Um, so I actually um started the internship in I think August technically I was supposed to do it over the summer however but COVID summer (laughs) but I was working with One Ocean for about two years before this um I hope maybe a year and a half I'm not two years like a year and a half um it's now been two years but time of my internship year and a half and I helped work on the conservation team so me and my friend Kenna would put together the beach cleanup and coordinate those um, I also worked a lot with like helping with social media stuff, like making posts that they could share kind of a thing. Um, and then just like being an ambassador for cool. the company, going on dives and sharing a lot about sharks. And I would do outreach stuff like in their name, kind of. That's what as an ambassador you kind of do. That was the same with like social media posts. Like I was an ambassador spreading these like values and conservation messages that one ocean stands by. So I wanted, I knew the crew, I knew um, Ocean One, the founders. So that that definitely made the internship a lot of fun. Good. Oh, that sounds so fun. I'm so jealous. I like before, like in March of last year, I was planning to travel. No, when was it? March. I think it would have been April. Actually, my cousin was having her bachelorette party in Vegas, and I was like, well, if I'm gonna be down there, like I might as well go to Hawaii like it's been on my list and like literally top of my list was like go diving with one ocean diving and I had like flights booked everything all set up and then like mm-hmm. literally I booked my flights on March 12th and March 13th the world like shut down good, yep. like, nice yeah. nice of course I think yeah it was when it happened um I think like the week like the week after that we were actually doing like an ambassador internship cleanup just like with the a few of us just to like kind of get to know the interns more and the local ambassadors um because interns would come every few months and we just kind of got to know them and yeah basically the day before that cleanup they had all been told they had to go home (laughs) and so it was like their last day in hawaii basically and we're sitting cleaning up the beach and i was like i feel so bad because like this is so sad that they were like they had just got there too it only been like I think a month or whatever into the internship oh. and that's when like COVID had hit and they were like yeah we don't have to go home like they're not doing the program Hawaii's shutting down and <laughs> um, it's so like depressing and then that's when like we like future interns got the heads up like hey like we're not you're on hold until COVID's gone and here we are it's still not gone 
yeah so I was only I only did I was able to do it just because I was in Hawaii you were already um, there yeah yeah and then I I knew Taylor she's over the intern program and so I like asked her I was like I understand like I won't be doing like the full internship but do you just need like an intern helper around the office like I'll literally do anything <laughs> so before we talk a little bit about what your internship was for those who don't know what is one ocean diving because it is so special it is so cool Yes, One Ocean Diving um, is a shark diving eco-tour on the North Shore of Oahu, based out of Haleiwa. Um, So every day, depending on the weather, usually like four or six dives a day, you're going out in a boat with the crew, a safety diver, and usually a captain. Well, always a captain, but safety diver and a captain, and going to learn about sharks, shark conservation, and shark diving safety, and then getting to dive with sharks um because there are like these local aggregate sites for sandbar and galapagos sharks on the north shore so we go to those spots and safely you can dive you can just hold on to the rope and not dive um like it's really great like their comfort level like it's kind of up to you some people will get in for a second and then get out (laughs) or just put their head in um it's all like their comfort and everyone on crew is super understanding that people are scared of sharks and that's okay to be intimidated you don't have to get in um you can get in for a little bit and like you can like it's okay to be scared so I was like it's okay like we don't think any less of you if you're scared I used to be terrified of sharks like it's totally fine and then you learn all these great things like we talk about the different conservation issues with sharks and shark finning sport fishing fisheries issues um we talk about some of the local history with sharks and how um the like how hawaiian culture and sharks are so are intertwined in many ways and how they respected um sharks and then like all like kind of like we we dispel some shark myths like when you dive with sharks it's okay they don't smell your pee they're not gonna come get you um that was when we get a lot it's like they can get us if we pee like what if i pee in the water we pee all the time we pee in wetsuits constantly I love that. They're totally fine. I think that's awesome that you guys aren't like pushy. Like once you get in the water, you have to be in the water, like forcing them to enjoy it, and are just like, "Hey, we're giving you this safe opportunity to interact with these animals that we understand are scary, but really, like, just take your time and you'll be okay," kind of thing. And sometimes like conditions are rough, and like I, there were times I'd get out early. I'd be like, "I'm gonna vomit," and I cannot (laughs) be on it. Like I need to sit down. Or even, like, there were days I had, like, ear, like, my ears were not wanting to, like, equalize, so I would just sit and hold on the rope. Um, just, it's all your comfort. There were even days where I just didn't even want to dive. I was like, I'm just going to I don't want to, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the way I said, like, you don't even have to leave the line. Like, don't, like, safeties will always invite you to. It's super cool. And hold your hand if you, like, need someone to help you dive. Like, you're not alone kind of a thing. Um, that's fantastic so yeah it's like super safe safety is like the biggest precaution like one ocean has a hundred percent safety record no one's gotten injured or bit or anything on a dive um which we pride ourselves on very much yeah absolutely it definitely helps it's like there is no record you're going to get harmed on this this boat um except for maybe by the boat where like people get hit on the boat all the time like boats are super (laughs) dangerous really selling it right there <laughs> you're, on a, like, you're on a shark well, dive and you get hurt by a boat like come on yeah I mean I've fallen on boats like I've hit my head on the boats a couple of times like you're just not paying attention and there's like a bar and you stand up like oh that's what I always tell people are like yeah the boat's more likely to hurt you than one of the sharks so just being boats really cautious on the boat. Oh, yeah we said I was out and some girls almost got like crushed not crushed by the boat like they would have gotten their head hit but just like not really paying attention to the boat behind them um and really focus on the sharks which is great because the sharks are beautiful but we like I, I had to like grab one of them and pull them because the boat like it was really bumpy that day out in the water and so the boat was just splashing and they just kind of got like pulled out a little bit in front of the boat and I was like oh my gosh like freaking out I was like that's like the scariest thing I've seen on the water is an ocean yeah. was when these girls who just were kind of like zoned out almost got hit by the boat which I've gotten hit I've almost hit the boat too like it happens the ocean oh, yeah. has currents and 
But it's easy to get then, disoriented in the water too. Like you can be like focused on one thing and think you're facing the boat, but really the boat has turned to be, or like you've turned so the boat's now behind you. So like, oh yeah, you, you yeah. think you have lots of room and that the boat's in front of you, but like you go to move backwards and you're hitting the boat. Oh yeah, and it took me a while to kind of learn like be really aware of the boat because I would yeah. always just be like, oh the sharks, and then I dive up, I go up without looking. And a couple of times, like, I've had ocean grab me and pull me because I was heading straight up under the boat and I would have hit my head. Like, it's just something you learn when you're diving out with a boat. But people always ask, like, what's the scariest thing you've seen? And I'm like, almost getting hit by a boat. Honestly. Like, <laughs> Not the sharks. That was the most, like, adrenaline I've had on a dive was when um, the guests were just zoned out and almost got slammed on by the boat. That would be terrifying, because, like, huge metal beasts is what those boats are. Oh, yeah. And it was our big boat, too. It was was a big one. But everything's okay. Everyone's good. So, we've talked about the scariest thing, which unexpectedly is not the sharks. What has been some of the coolest things you've seen when diving with One Ocean? Because I'm sure you see some, like, amazing things. Um, I always love to see um, tuna fours on dive. <laughs> I would get really distracted, and I've gone out a couple times to collect tuna fours with them just because they are a little bit more abundant offshore. Um, yeah. So I'd bring jars, and I'd be collecting them, and I'd be getting on and off the boat. Um, which was fun because some guests are like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, there are sharks. Why are you looking at these little clear gelatinous animals? Um, so I got to, like, talk about them. but um. Hi, uh, my, my first tiger shark was super cool. She was very um, interactive. Like she got really close. A lot of times the tiger sharks will kind of pop up and then leave because they're a little bit more of a shy species. Um, but some of our individuals um, in the ID program are, um, I guess, brave. We're a little more friendly and we'll come up and kind of investigate. Um, so that was super cool. I think, too, just learning, my favorite thing is learning the Shark ID program, so learning to, oh, like, yeah. ID the individuals in our program. Um, so how, really do you, me. how do you do Shark ID? Because I know, like, we've talked about some photo ID or, like, individualized ID on this podcast before with different animals, like seals, you look at, like, their uh, fur patterns and whales, their dorsal fin or their tail flukes, so how do you do it with sharks? So yeah, most of our sharks, so for tiger sharks, there is, there's like a watermark on their pack fin on the top, kind of like okay. where an armpit would be, I guess. Um, there's this really unique watermark and that's one way, but there's also any kind of dorsal fin scarring, is how we can tell them, any kind of scarring that is permanent. Sharks do heal really fast, so sometimes a scar isn't a really good indicator of an ID, but sometimes it is if it's like really severe. Yeah, so like a really them, dramatic scar kind of thing. Yeah, some have really dramatic scars that aren't going to go away. And we know that that can become an ID. Um, some, like Roxy is one of the tiger sharks. She has a broken jaw, which is very easy to tell. Um, <laughs> a lot of the tigers, though, it is just little dorsal fin scarring, but they're watermark on their, on their pectin. And then for the other sharks, it usually is some form of scarring or um, unique marking that's easy to tell them apart. Like one of my favorites is Pisa. He's a sandbar shark. He has a triangle cut out of the lower part of his dorsal, probably from he got caught and they collected a tissue sample. So we call him Pisa and he's super like he has like he's insane. He's one of the sharks that um, we always call sandbars like these little chihuahuas because they're really energetic. You can get their attention super fast, but they lose it super fast. But he just He's a little brave boy. He gets on, I know, some of the safeties. He, they love him, but they hate him because he's not afraid to come up really close. And <laughs> it just kind of gets on their nerves. Where they're like, go away. Like, go low, please. <laughs> please, um, please give us some space. So, yeah, we're, there's like a love-hate relationship with him. And there's a couple other of the sandbars that are like that. Um, and same with the Galapagos. Usually it's a scarring that helps to tell that shark apart. Sometimes it's like a broken jaw. Um, you, sometimes there's tags on them. The tags can fall off, so they're not guaranteed mm. ways to 
to tell a shark from another shark. Yeah, it generally is scarring for individuals that don't have scars. There isn't a great way to tell them um, from another, um, except for the tiger sharks that do have those watermarks. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, it's kind of just when we find a new one with a scar, like there's a new one which is added to the program has a super busted um, dorsal fin and one, someone named him Keanu, like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> His dorsal oh literally is like cut like in half, basically. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, so it looks like some kind of boat injury. Um, oh, yeah. We have, couple, we have two um, Galapagos in the program that have their um, tail fin. The top part is like completely cut off. So it's just like a wee nub. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's similar names too, which I think was, which is interesting because we get them mixed up. You kind of have to get up close. If they don't come up higher, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, is that Tukey or is that Tukey? Because Tukey is a slightly longer, like the nub isn't as small as like, it's that kind of, those kind of things. Okay. So, so like you have to kind of like see them to know, like see them up close yeah. to be able to tell who's who. Okay, cool. Yeah. So a lot of times, and so it's like the safeties and the interns, um, it's, we keep track of the IDs that do pop up because at the end of every dive, there is a data log of different things that happened and you're supposed to log the individuals you see because the goal is to create a database of um, these shark IDs to tell if we kind of have like resident sharks are they here a certain time of the year like it's pizza here seven months out of the year but every year for the same few months he's completely gone and then shows okay so you're trying to figure out like whether or not you have like resident like a resident population or if these are just like passing through kind of thing yeah and so we kind of know like a lot of our sharks are here year round um and even the tigers we kind of like you kind of help pick up on some of their behaviors um generally in the winter time the adults leave is something that like they've kind of picked up on it's not nothing published but just like these little things just that notice, like people who are there yeah yeah like but, people who are spending yeah, their time with these animals who are realizing this and like it could lead to like scientific articles later on but just not yet yeah. the adult tiger sharks will leave but sometimes a lot of times actually i think the sub-adults kind of stay around in the winter they don't see them as often as you do in like the tiger season of summer but there okay. are when you are more likely to see a tiger shark in the winter this is what like i think ocean told me this one day that they do tend to see the subadults a lot more so the shark i saw kalihi she's just kind of breaking i think out of the subadults into the adult but they said they tended to see her a lot in the winter um and they kind of see her year round up until now when she's kind of getting into her adult phase they're noticing her less and so they think younger sharks younger tigers will kind of stick around the islands more like year round um, than the older ones who will kind of go out and roam a bit more in the pelagic zone in the winter time it seems or wherever they go cool that's really interesting i can't wait to see like what kind of comes of these logs and whether or not you determine if there is like a resident population or if it's in like individuals just stopping by to say hi that's going to be really interesting to find out yeah i mean we know like the aggregate sites and that's a big thing is like but just trying to determine, like, yeah, we know, like, we have pizza here, or we have Tyson and all these other sharks that we see year-round, um, but I think it'd be interesting, like, maybe one day if there's other dives, to see if they go to other sides of the island, like, what happens, if they go to other islands, that's not, that would be a long time, that's just something I think would be cool, but IDs are kind of hard to do that way, um, especially with oh, the yeah. sharks, it's not like, it's not like an orca, um, other, another sandbar shark could have a similar cutout on its fin that it's like okay well we have no idea if that's pizza <laughs> because these sharks are collected by like researchers to take samples out of um there is like another thing that's been noticed by people that they or by um some of the divers is it seems that like male sandbars are much more pelagic out in those deeper zones whereas females you do see on the reefs more often Okay. Which I found really interesting. I think the same goes yeah, for tiger cool. sharks. Tight. Female tiger sharks tend to stay closer in inland, like hiding on the coast, whereas the males are much more like we. I don't think we have that many male tiger sharks in our program. It's generally females because we're only three miles offshore, and the males tend to be waste like a bit farther out and stay like truly pelagic, not really coming into the reefs or 
off shore zone super often. So the same kind okay. of goes for the sandbar sharks too. That's something that's just kind of been noticed by different researchers and by um, like our safety divers. Cool, that's really interesting. Sharks are fascinating. Sharks are, sharks are, sharks. Sharks are so cool. I I could talk for hours about sharks. Yeah, so it's so fun. And seeing people too, like, not be scared of them anymore. Like, yeah, you know, the whole turn your key into fascination. Like, I've seen that happen. It is super cool. Um, It it is. Like, going or seeing people go from, oh, I'm terrified of sharks to, these are so cool. What the heck is like, so heartwarming almost. Yeah, and, like, so often, this, like, it's, like, you kind of got to, like, drive them up, like, come on, we got to go. We got to go back to dock. I know it's so cool, but, like, you got to get out of the water because people just become so fascinated and, like, love the sharks because they are super cool and they're not crazy monsters and they are, like, super chill. They just kind of swim around. They'll come up and take a look at you, but they're not out to get you. You're totally safe. <laughs> and with marine biologists that know what they're doing and are going to keep you safe and also educate you along the way, which is super cool. You know, they have that, the sharks do have that mantra, fish are friends, not food. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about how I actually came across you and discovered you, which is your TikTok, which is so fun. <laughs> so That's you cool. post like marine centric stuff on your TikTok and talk about being a marine biologist. What made you want to start doing that? Uh, well, I first started it, I actually was just posting about, like, my lab because a lot of funny stuff happened. We had an octopus at the time. So I was like, oh, what if I, like, got, like, all those funny videos? It's, like, a weird pet. Um, and so I, like, I didn't go viral. I went, like, semi-viral with my little octopus videos. Um, and then people would ask a lot of questions, like, what's it like being a marine scientist? And um, I'd kind of answer them, but then I kind of dropped the ball once COVID hit. I was like, our octopus died, and then I moved back to Arizona. Um, so I wasn't doing many science work in Arizona. Um, and then I came back to Hawaii and started it up again. And I would just kind of make the like really pretty videos that were more so for like myself when I first started it with like cool audios and all my footage of the ocean. I could like relive it. And I was going to move soon. And it was like, I don't know, sad. <laughs> but then um, they kind of started to go viral and I kept getting followers and so then people kept asking questions um and I know I knew nothing about this field going in like nothing I knew nothing about college I knew nothing about um not like pursuing a degree in the sciences a lot of people would comment like there's no jobs like this career's useless I get that comment I still do like you don't get paid like blah 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 blah, blah. all that kind of stuff and I was like my favorite comment along those lines is, oh, I wanted a marine bio- I wanted to be a marine biologist, but I needed a real job. And you're like, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank cool. you all, all the marine biology climate scientists that are trying to save like, that's how yeah. okay. like that kind of, so I kind of was just like getting annoyed so I started answering questions and um, being like, kind of sharing too, like I, my college counselor, I feel like didn't know a lot about the degree. And this was kind of like, oh, this is by the ocean, go here. Um, and also had kind of was like, oh, yeah, it's not a great career, but for me, it was between that and theater. So she was like, better than theater. <laughs> like, <laughs> she had the job in, in science more than the theater industry. <laughs> and so I was like, what if I was like, I'll just start answering questions and maybe I'm wrong. And other marine scientists are going to be like calling me out and being like, no, like, that kind of happened with a couple of things. but But you know what normalize being wrong normalize being okay with being corrected yeah like i I, some ones were like how can i work with sharks and i'm always i i do recommend going to a warmer area just because there tend to be more opportunities there yeah in the colder climates and someone was like um i research scientists i research sharks in a cold climate this is not good advice and i was like i'm not saying you can't research sharks at like (laughs) Oregon or Washington or somewhere like somewhere cold but just from in terms of labs like Bimini Shark Lab the shark lab at um UC Long Beach um there's a shark there's lots of labs in my like Miami there's a shark lab at Manoa in Hawaii and like in terms of the labs that are really well known they are tend, tend to be in that warmer tropical yeah absolutely that's and I kind of like 
I told, like, there are lots of awesome cold water shark species, like a basking shark. Now that I live in BC, I would love to see a basking shark. Heck yeah, but, they're so cool. They're literally yeah. the coolest. The first time I ever oh. saw one, I thought it was a garbage bag. I love them. I love that. And, like, the um, Alaska Sea Life Center has some sleeper sharks. Like, obviously, they're cold water shark species. I know it. And you can do a lab and not even go see sharks. You can just have, like, their tissue and do research. But I was like, yes, but in terms of, like, the cool shark labs, the tagging everyone wants to do, those do tend to be warmer climate. Oh, absolutely. Um, and even, like, even if you were completely wrong and were like, sharks are only in warm waters, okay, great. Someone's going to call you out and you're going to learn. Like, there's nothing wrong with being incorrect. And I want to change that narrative a lot. Well, yeah, it's like, I know, like, I will tell people, I'm like, I know a lot about coral because I worked in an area and I worked on coral projects. I know nothing about kelp and, proto- and like, algae because algae is not a big thing in Hawaii. Um, there is, like, some invasive algae species that we've had kind of come in and we handled. But, like, kelp's not, a, kelp's not a thing. Kiwi's not a huge thing. There are little algae species that we do have, but they're, like, not not to the same degree as we see, like, in these other places yeah absolutely like all up the west coast with these huge kelp forests like i didn't learn about kelp but i learned a lot about coral so i'll tell people i'm like if you want to learn coral i do recommend going to a warm climate where corals are around yes there are some cold water corals cold water corals are super cool um but for the most part coral labs where you're going to be like i feel like are more in those warmer climates um and so i just wanted to like give recommendations to students because or aspiring students um to the best of my ability i obviously like a lot of people ask about oh is this school good i'm like i don't know i've never been there <laughs> or like how much are you paid and i'm like i don't want to answer that question because <laughs> that's irrelevant and i'm also not paid right now because i received to canada but um <laughs> just trying to like answer these questions that students have about um this field because i i never had a resource and i never saw anything on social media except like conservation groups i followed a lot of conservation groups but i didn't know much about how to get into that Mm. Um, i didn't know what networking was i didn't know like how to get involved like i didn't know anything so i was just like i just was like a few words of wisdom may help someone their freshman year whereas i didn't start really going out of my way to do stuff till like late in my sophomore yeah that's why I love that you're doing what you do with your TikTok and like sharing like hey ask me how I can help you or like hey ask me any questions you have about this degree because it kind of opens up that narrative more for younger students to be like hey this is something that I think I might want to pursue what are my options or like what should I do what can I expect like it really kind of takes the scary unknowingness of marine science out of it and gives them this opportunity to learn and like for like I'm using air quotes right now like ask like stupid questions because there's no such thing as a stupid question but you might not want to go up to like a university um advisor and be like hey I don't know what courses I'm going to need for this because they're going to be like okay well what do you mean you don't know like it just kind of takes that fear out of it and gives them a safe space to uh ask these questions yeah and that's like I get a lot of the same questions over and over again um and also I ask them like what kind of classes should I take in high school what classes are I taking in college um where should I go to school um how do I work in the field not in the lab that's my most common question um Mm. and I feel kind of bad I hope I feel like my I always like my free time is spent in the ocean I was a diver I am a diver but I'm I'm not not but I, I, I'm a free diver, and so my hobby is being in the water, and that is where most, like almost all my footage comes from, and a lot of people will comment, they're like, how did you do this? Some people will comment how I did it without a degree, and I'm like, I have to do how do you just work in the field and not do a lab? And I'm like, I literally work in a lab five days of the week, and I, and I will free dive on the weekends primarily, um, and I felt like I helped perpetuate this idea that marine science is just the like in the ocean filming with like documentary crews and the very dreamy aspect of it. So I also like have had to be aware of my own impact in this idea of what marine biology is. Yeah. Um, 
because like I do a lot of fun pretty stuff obviously um and of course those are more documentable than me sitting in my lab all day feeding fish which I would yeah. still document but it definitely wasn't as fun as like me with a bottlenose dolphin or <laughs> when I see turtles and I'm diving with and I have my GoPro like obviously that's gonna get that has gotten more views than my feeding my eel videos yeah but it's I feel like it's important to show both sides so people aren't going into this career thinking like oh my god I'm about to spend every day in the ocean and then are sadly mistaken when they're spending 90% of their time behind their computer writing these papers or writing proposals for grants and working in the lab which is pretty fun still but it's not you know in the water that's thing, like I think lab work super fun. Even like the mundane, like I really sat in a lab and fed fish, but and I loved it. I was like, cool. I get to sit and watch fish personalities. Um, I'd watch movies in there too, and just have like a movie running while I did my work because I'd have to like do medicine stuff. I'd have to do like food prep, tank cleaning, and all that. Like, there's a lot of work that goes into running like a wet lab. Um, basically, there's another guy on TikTok who runs the lump fish wet lab, which I think is I love. I love lumpfish. They are my favorite fish. There's so many. Um, and my lab's way smaller than, like, his is super cool. But i just sharing that. But also, I what I'll tell people is who probably really just want to work in the field, which I totally understand. But I've talked to other people who work in the field most of the time, and they're like, it gets exhausting. Like, just like stage diving at one ocean. They all love, obviously, stage diving love to free dive. Um, I'm friends with them. Like, we all go free diving just for fun. But it gets exhausting, like physically exhausting, um, throwing up off sides of the boat. Like, seasickness as long as just go away. There are good days, there are bad days. Like, you still get seasick. Sometimes, like, you, I, if I had, like, a, a long week of, like, multiple one ocean dives, or I did have some field days, I would not want to touch the water on the weekend sometimes. Not all the time. Oh, yeah. But sometimes you just be so, so tired that, it, like, my heart was like, I want to binge Twilight all day. I don't want to binge Twilight. <laughs> it gets so, like, like it's physically what? people don't people don't realize how physically demanding being in the water can be. So like so, like you just can't do it every single day. Oh yeah, like for help wise, cost like if you're a scuba diver, like you can't always afford to go scuba diving all the time. Oh. But that's I'm always like I I'll tell you that like. A lot of it is lab work, so keep that in mind. Um, if you want a guaranteed field job, I would say go to the, go the tourism route. But also keep in mind that a lot of marine scientists that I know too will recommend diving as a hobby that you can use as your work, but that a lot yeah. of times your work will be desk or lab. But then that also keeps that love for just exploring the ocean. Because some people would be like, yeah, I work diving for a living and I never want to get in the water when I'm not working. <laughs> Yeah, if it's your full time job, it's not going to be fun when it's your day off. Like it would be like going to work. Yeah, unless it's like like you go on like a dive vacation, like you're a, yeah, like when you're like a whole new area. That's why I would tell people I'm like keep that in mind. That's obviously not true for everyone. Some people will love it, whether they're work or not. But yeah, if you want to work in the field all the time, tourism's the route to go because a lot of the marine science jobs um do involve even like the diving ones involve some form of desk work or even lab work to an extent like logging things like dealing with customers like you tend to have a desk aspect in everything you do you also do scientific communication the same way i do with a podcast which everyone listening go listen to all of kendra's podcasts because they are binge worthy i listen to them all like within a couple days so (laughs) i highly recommend them what made you want to start your podcast and how did you do it? Um, I don't remember what did I think I just like listening. I like listening to podcasts. Like that is my favorite thing to do is put on a podcast of any different kind. Like crime, I'll do like the weird just like influencer drama ones that I just find entertaining or like the, Oh yeah. Guilty pleasure um, kind of things. Yeah, like all kinds. I've literally I have all kinds of podcasts on my little Spotify list um so I was like oh like how cool would it be to do an ocean one and I looked it up and there were obviously were ocean ones um like I love speak up for the blue that's probably my favorite one um that I will recommend especially like in interviewing different researchers I just I find it really fascinating 
and a really easy way to expound your um, intake of scientific knowledge with some like reading a paper down or like you want to email someone because it's daunting but just sitting and listening to a researcher talk about like deep sea mining is really easy for me to do and that's why I've learned about a lot um is just through podcasts and so I was like really into sustainable living when I started I still am but like really into it when I first started so I was like oh what if I did like a sustainable living plus marine biology kind of podcast basically I can just talk and record myself and just put it out there and if people want to listen to it they can yeah I um, love it it's a fantastic podcast yeah so I was just I, I, I would just say I was kind of like looking to expound my platform um because I um I do really like social media as a form of science communication um I guess like influencery but I don't like being called <laughs> I totally get that. The connotation. But so I really like podcasts because um it allows me to talk to people um without them seeing my face because I don't like I don't I don't love the idea of YouTube because I don't love the idea of sitting and making really long videos with my face showing. So I was like, oh podcasts would be like this really fun middle ground for me because a lot of people wanted me to do YouTube, but I don't want to because I'm scared of my face. Um and I but I like listening to podcasts and I think it'd be really cool and it may be less of it may be it's not as much of a platform that people want obviously people like videos more than podcasts um some people say podcasts are, are dying I think they're wrong because I will always talk on podcasts um so yeah I just made it I used um my school's um what is it called mics I can't see I can't see but my, my department for entrepreneurship had mics. So I was like, can I borrow a microphone for the weekend? And I could. And so I figured it out and I started using Anchor. Um, yep. Which was super easy. I was like, oh, it makes it really easy. I just plug in my mic. And when I record podcasts, it takes me forever because I get so like flustered and I feel dumb when I do it. Um, because I just feel like no one's going to listen. No one cares. And I'm just talking and like, what if I say something wrong and it gets like taken out of like car or I don't know I get really paranoid um and embarrassed like I feel really dumb when I do stuff like this even when I make TikToks like I really have to like overpower my anxiety to film and do things and so it kind of helped with that too um the more I did it and the more people were like I love your podcast I was like really sweet people are listening and care that I'm like have something to say so um it dropped off for a while because of COVID because I moved and I didn't have access to a microphone Mm. but I started it back up it helped too and my TikTok kind of went off and people were really valuing it and obviously a minute is not enough time to talk about things yeah it kind of limits you a little bit a little bit and so I was like man I really just this minute's good for grabbing someone's attention and getting them to follow, but a pot, like I can lead that into like, post in my podcast, I made a podcast about this. Especially when people ask the same question over and over again, and I'm like, kind of don't want to make a minute video every two weeks about the same topic. I can be like, oh, go look at my podcast or go check out my Instagram Q&A story highlight, kind of a thing. Like, yeah, there's another resource for you to use. But plus, this podcast will give way more info than my one minute video. Exactly, yeah. It kind of gives you, like, more time to dive more in-depth about different subjects. Yeah, it's like, um, I just filmed one with my friend, um, Taylor. She's also a sister at One Ocean. But we talked about different aspects of our, our university journey. Yeah. Because there's, like, there's no right way, I feel, to get in my science degree. And there's no best school for sharing our different schools. Or different, like, she was in Florida, I was in Hawaii. Um, all that kind of stuff and we were able to talk for like two hours about it and just share different aspects of like the struggles like not just all the fun stuff like I was in the lab and I was just so good and I just had so many networking opportunities like no I sat for my whole first first year in my dorm and didn't make any friends (laughs) like no like that's not the reality (laughs) But it gave, like your podcast gave you the opportunity to talk about that. So some kid who's thinking about going into Marine Bio is going to have that resource to go listen to and be like, okay, it's not well, exactly it. what I expected. 
Yeah, and especially if it's like the student that's just sitting in their room because they're scared. That was my thing. I'm just scared. Yeah, exactly. I was a freshman. I had a lot of bad experiences with people and like in, like undiagnosed anxiety and depression that I just didn't even know. So I just would like go into these like horrible little reps and just sit in my room and not socialize. Um, and I would let, it'd be great if like a student took me and they're like, oh, like I do this. Maybe I should go one, like maybe get some help. Maybe help is, is amazing, get help. But also like start to push myself out of my boundaries, like getting help, but also actively like trying to put myself out there as scary as it is. Cause I was scared oh, yeah. when I did it but it was so helpful. Yeah, for sure. And on that note, if people wanted to follow along with you, where can they find you on social media? Like what's, where can they find your podcast? Where can they find you on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok? What are your usernames? All that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So on Instagram, I am intertitlecandy. Um, same on TikTok, intertitlecandy. And then my podcast on Spotify, it's on every platform you can stream podcasts but Spotify I feel like it's the primary or Apple podcast called intertidal talk so everything is intertidal in it <laughs> perfect and these will all be linked in the bio below and on our Instagram and Facebook pages so you guys can easily check out Kendra because she is so incredibly cool and I am so happy that she came on today's podcast to join us thank you so much it was super fun Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I love sharing these stories with you, and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.